Good morning, New Life Church. Happy Mother's Day, mamas. I'm so happy for you. You know, well, wow, that was a yeah, happy Mother's Day. Yes. Praise the Lord. I'm glad you're with us this morning. Welcome for those of you that are joining us online today. We're so glad uh, that you are with us. Um, we are grateful for your participation. So we'd like for you to put some comments in the comment section. Let us know that you're glad that, or that you're, you're, you're with us this morning. We appreciate so much your faithfulness. If you got your Bible, open your Bible to Nehemiah. Want to get right into God's word this morning. I am so grateful to be able to share with you on this Mother's Day about an ordinary guy by the name of Nehemiah. Um, I believe that you're going to learn something today that will be very practical, so it is my hope that you'll jot a few of these things down, that maybe it will help you in your life, no matter what struggle or trial or victory that you're facing, I believe that God has a plan for our lives. He's not going to waste a hurt, and he's not going to waste um, a positive thing in our lives either. Nehemiah, last week we talked about the fact that there's probably something in your life that bothers you, that is um, compelling you, that you feel deeply inside of you that somebody should be meeting this need. Somebody should be doing something. It might be a group of people that are hurting and maybe somebody, a group of people that have been abused and you're like, somebody needs to do something about that. Maybe it's a group of people or an individual that's been neglected and you feel compelled to help them. There's probably for most of us in here and most of us listening, there's probably uh, something that we might call a divine burden that each one of us carries that God has given to us, something that disturbs you, something that upsets you on behalf of God. I hope you have a divine burden in your life because if you don't have a divine burden in your life, it could be, is it possible that you're too self-focused rather than being others-focused? The divine burden that God gives to you is something that moves you in a powerful way. Here's what I found to be true. The burden you bear often reveals the calling you'll embrace. The burden you bear often reveals the calling you'll embrace. In other words, the thing that tends to upset you is the thing that oftentimes drives you or compels you into a ministry to make, to make a difference in the lives of somebody else. There's something else that I know. I know you rarely ever know when you're on the front lines, when you're on the front end of making a significant difference. Think about the last time you made a significant difference in your life. Did you know you were fixing to make a significant difference at the beginning point of that? You probably had no idea how big of a deal that conversation was or that decision was or that choice you made was. But that conversation, that decision, that choice led to something that was extremely significant in your life. My wife and I, uh, Keely, who she was at the River Islands campus with me, the first the gathering, she'll be here shortly for this gathering as well. Um, we were bothered by something nearly 30 years ago. And that thing that really bothered us, that really frustrated us, was our family of origin. Without being disrespectful to our families, we're first generation followers of Jesus Christ. Both of us are. And, and it bothered us when we began to look at our childhoods and began to think and dream about having children of our own. And we got married. I was 18. She was 19-ish. And so we get married and uh, we, do, you know, we knew everything at that point. Everybody knows what I'm talking about, right? There's nothing we didn't. Just kidding. We didn't know anything. 
And, and, and we knew enough to know that we need to unlearn and to relearn some things in our lives if we're going to produce something that's going to be different than what was produced in our family's lives. And so, I don't know if you know this about my wife. I'll just brag on her for a second. It's Mother's Day. She went to college. Uh, she got a scholarship to go to college, a Christian university. Um, and she double majored in early childhood development and elementary education. She went through that double major, learned everything she could. Of course, we got married a year or so into, into our college careers. And I knew this all the way through. But my wife did not really feel a call to teach. My wife wanted to go get Christian education and early childhood development and an elementary education to change the trajectory of our family lineage because she knew she had to learn, unlearn, and relearn some things differently if we were going to produce different results than our families had before us. And so we invested thousands and thousands of dollars in her, a lot of headaches and hours, knowing she was never going to use that education in the classroom. She was going to use it every day to raise our children. We were bothered by something to the point that when we began having children, uh, we, we found out we were expecting our oldest daughter eight months after we got married. And so nine months later, so here I am barely 20 and we have our first child. And we were bothered by the fact that um, we wanted to change the future for our kids. And so we were passionate, primarily through my wife, we were passionate about making sure we read the Bible to our children every day. We're passionate about praying with them, about pointing them toward Jesus Christ. And today, I mean, most of you know me, but I don't presume that everybody does. And today we have four amazing grown married daughters, three of whom are credentialed ministers, pastors on our staff, at the Assemblies of God, one a faithful servant of the Lord who's an at-home mother, God has blessed. All of them are married to Christ's followers and are making a difference, but it all began by being bothered by something in your life. Now, I don't say that in any way to boast on anybody other than Jesus, but this is exactly where some of you are at at this moment in your life, is you are bothered by something. You see a need. And you're leaning into that need. You're considering doing something about it. And I don't presume to know what it is, but you know what it is. You, maybe you're just at the early stages and you, you really are starting to, you have no idea at this point how big this could be because you're on the front end of something that's very special and could significantly impact so many lives. I mean, tremendously. You don't know what you don't know. Let me give you the context of, of Nehemiah and this story. I would never teach you something that didn't find its origins in God's Word. I'm amazed that when we scroll through Facebook or we look on social media, we look online, whoever said it first and whoever had the opinion first is usually what we believe to be our truth. Well, that's not what I heard. What I heard was this. That's because you read that before you heard this. It doesn't mean that it makes that truth. Everything that we study, everything that we ad adhere to, that we own, may it be found first in, in God's word as it leads us and guides us into all truth and all righteousness. The context, Nehemiah, in case you weren't with us last week, back up in time to about 587 B.C., 
there's this king, evil, wicked king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And he has this empire, the Babylonian empire. And they decide they're going to go in and they're going to attack the good guys. The good guys are the Israelites, the, um, the people who live in Jerusalem. They attack the city of Jerusalem. They decimate the city. They destroy the city. The temple is put into ruins. The walls around the fortress of the city are torn down. Every home is burned down. There is nothing left of this city. And on top of that, they take all of those Israelites who they just dominated, they take them captive. They drag them a thousand miles away and they put them in slavery and in captivity to this evil King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. It is terrible where they spend decades in this, in, I mean, their, their spirits are crushed. They are demoralized beyond hope. Now, fast forward a little bit, a few decades later, decades later, some of the Jewish people, about 50,000 of them were uh, somehow released. There's a story behind that, but they were released. They make the trek of about a thousand miles by walking to go back to their homeland. It's been decades now. They have no idea what they're going to run into. And they get to their beloved city, their homeland, and they see it has been devastated. They decide we're going to rebuild Jerusalem. But if you can imagine, the city's been demolished. There's no economic structure. I mean, there's no buildings. There's no businesses. There's no jobs. There's no systems. There's no government in place. There's no leadership. There's no direction. And most of all, there is just no hope. And so they, these early travelers run into roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. They hit dead end after dead end. And finally, once again, they are demoralized. They are hopeless. They are frustrated beyond belief. Word gets set back um, just by happenstance just by happenstance, the message of this gets taken back 140 years after this happened, the city was destroyed. That's a long time. Gets taken back and in conversation, an ordinary Joe, an ordinary guy by the name of Nehemiah suddenly hears this message that this had all taken place and he is brokenhearted by the plight of his people. He is destroyed by this. This guy was an ordinary guy. I mean, right, he wasn't a pastor, he was not a priest, he was not a king, he was not a prophet, he wasn't even a contractor. Let me tell you this, he wasn't even verified on Instagram. I mean, this guy was a nobody, right? He, he was an ordinary servant, a cupbearer to the king. He had no formal or appointed position. All he had was God-ordained passion, passion to make a difference. The first thing he did, the first thing he did, I showed you last week, was, was he sat down. Oh, look at you. Yes, look at this. My daughter is just way to go. And how beautiful and stunning you look today. I just took the words out of David's mouth. I know I did, but you did. Absolutely. The first thing that he did was he, he sat down and he, he just cried about it. He owned it. Oh, my. I can't believe this. It's just he, he wept about it. The second thing he did, the Bible tells us, is he, he knelt down and he talked to God about it. But the third thing we talked about last week was he rose up and, and he decided he was going to act. I'm going to, somebody's got to do, I'm, it might as well be me. And we left the story there. Well, now we're going to get practical today. What happens when you feel bad 
When you own the issue, you weep about it. What happens after you've talked to God about it? And what happens when you decide somebody's got to do something? It might as well be me. Two questions as we start this message today. Number one, how? How do you do the work? And number two, how do you make a difference? So I, 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 I wept about it. I sought God about it. I believe I'm supposed to do something about how. How do you do the work? How, Troy? Does the Bible say any of that? Yes. Yes, it does. How do you make a difference? It tells us that also. So today, we're going to get very, very practical, and I know it's Mother's Day, but I think you mamas are some of the smartest people in the world. You can connect all these dots and understand that this really is an applicable Mother's Day message. Four very, very practical thoughts from Nehemiah. Number one, very practically, seek God faithfully. I want you to learn something from this again and again. We see in Nehemiah praying before God. This is a man of prayer. I want you to see the timeline of what happens here. Nehemiah chapter 1. It says, these are the words of Nehemiah, son of Halkilia. Uh, the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, the month of Kislev. Month, what is Kislev? I am so glad you asked. In the calendar that they had back then, it wasn't January, February, March, April, May, so forth. It had different names. Kislev was actually the month that was somewhere around um, November, the latter part of November, early December, sometime between those. So this is the time that Nehemiah heard the message. The walls have been torn down. The city is in ruins. Everybody's hopeless. 50,000 people went back and they can't seem to figure it out. And it's just, it's ridiculously depressing, Nehemiah. That's when he heard about it. Now, take a look at chapter two, verse number one. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, um, first of all, I, I, I have like a hundred dad jokes I could put in there right now because the <laughs> Nisan, but I'm not going to do that, okay? But um, um, I digress. Um, in the month of Nisan, when is the month of Nisan? Glad you asked. The month of Nisan follows the month of Kislev four months later. So what are we saying here? Well, there is a process that Nehemiah had to go through. He knew that I'm going to do something about this, that God's calling me to make a difference. It might as well be me. But he stopped and he prayed for four months. He took a four-month period of time to fast and to pray, and he's hurting, and he's seeking God. He's seeking the God of heaven. Why is he doing this? Because he knew he had a big obstacle, and the big obstacle was dun, 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 the king. You see, he was a servant to the king, the king's cupbearer. Everybody understands how tricky it would be for the cupbearer to go to the king with this kind of request. Hey, king, I need to leave and go back to my homeland and I need to kind of fix the things that are over there. Um, because a, a servant of the king doesn't place a burden on the king. A servant of the king removes a burden from the king. That's the servant's job. And in fact, if you were to put a burden on the king, um, you didn't want to be a person uh, to deliver bad news to the king. Because oftentimes the king would be ticked off as a reaction to the bad news being delivered. And that's where we get the phrase, don't kill the messenger. Nehemiah chapter 1, check out what happens though. Verse number, or chapter 2, verse number 1. The month of Nisan, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was brought for him, I took the wine, and remember he's the cupbearer, and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. 
There's this intimate relationship that's taking place. They are so close. And the Bible tells us that the king knows that his servant, Nehemiah, is upset. And it's a very difficult place. Um, uh, it's, he's disturbed in his spirit. Then look at verse number four. Jump down there. The king said to me, what is it that you want? Check out what Nehemiah does. I, I went over this a little bit last week, but let me just show you a different way here, a different vantage point. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. You ever had that happen before? You had gone before somebody, you're a little nervous about this, and you're going to have a conversation. It might be difficult. You don't know. And they ask you a question, what do you want? And you're like, oh God, I need you to help me right now. I need to know exactly what to say, exactly what to do, or I'm going to put my foot in my mouth, or I'm going to say something that I shouldn't say. You kind of shoot a, a, a prayer up to God. You can't expect God to answer that prayer if you don't have the relationship with God, with Jesus, through an ongoing prayer life. Let me say that again. You can't expect God to answer your text message to him very quickly if you don't have an ongoing relationship with him in the first place. So the work that you're doing in prayer and reading your Bible and staying faithful to the house of God and in close relationship with Christ followers in your life, the work that you're doing in that, the investment that you're making in that pays dividends when you need God now. Because then when you need God now, God, give me the words. That's what I think Nehemiah may have prayed. God, I need your wisdom. God, direct my steps. God, show me what to do. God, tell me what to say. Those text message prayers up to God that he then answers very quickly are developed out of a relationship that you've... I mean, remember, Nehemiah had already spent four months in prayer about this and fasting. He'd been in the relationship journey with God. Now the king says, what do you want? God, help me right now. And, and he tells him what he wants. There, in the presence of the king, the king says, what do you want? And Nehemiah says, I pray to God and I answer the king. Here's what I want you to remember about prayer. There is nothing too big for God's power, and there is nothing too small for God's heart. He cares about all of us. It, if it's a burden to you, take it to God. You seek God faithfully. My wonderful wife, Keely, that most of you know, is probably the most compassionate person that I've ever, I've ever had the privilege of knowing. She had a burden a few years ago to help people get off the merry-go-round and find emotional and relational health. And so several years ago, we began to, several years ago, we began to talk about what she could do and she, it was obvious Keely had a burden. And so she sought God faithfully. I mean, if you know me, I'm a guy that just says, let's go for it. But my wife is a, little, a lot more reserved than I am. She'll take the time to process and to pray and to, and to really make sure that this is exactly what needs to, she balances me very, very, very well. So she sought God faithfully and she prayed until finally she felt prompted by God to start this New Life Counseling Center that we have. We had no idea if anyone would really reach out for help, but the response was incredible. A little over three years ago, I did the research this week, a little over three years ago, um, Keely uh, launched the first counseling session and since then, we have had just a little bit over 2,340 counseling sessions uh, through the counseling center at New Life that my wife has done every, every one of those. 
And, and, and since then, she's opened up a second location at our Modesto campus. We have a separate office there that takes place on Wednesdays. And I don't know if you know this, Keely is currently training through a university as she is training four of our new lifers that feel a call into counseling ministries. And in a few years, they will be fully certified Christian counselors trained up through the university that we're working with because she anticipates the need of this counseling center to increase its influence as the network of our churches grows. Let me tell you, what, what was all that born out of? That was born out of a burden. The burden was we gotta do something to help people. And then it was birthed out of prayer, a a lot of prayer. There is nothing too big for God's power, and there is nothing too small for God's heart. You start by seeking God faithfully. God, I need you. God, guide my steps. Direct me. So for four months, Nehemiah faithfully sought after God. Do you have a vision for something in your life? Do you have the heart for something? If prayer is not necessary for you to accomplish your vision, then you're not thinking big enough in your life. You want something so big, so full of faith that you need the power of God to come through for you. What do you do? How do I do the work? How do I make a difference? You start by seeking God faithfully. Is anybody alive in the house today? Seek God faithfully. Don't look at that and go, yeah, but what's the real meat to the message? If you don't start by seeking God faithfully, then everything else, everything else is just a a clanging cymbal and a resounding gong. Number two, after you seek God faithfully, you have to clearly define your vision. Define the vision clearly. See, for most people, it's not a lack of caring that's your problem. It's a lack of clarity that's the problem. A lot of people want to make a difference in our lives. They're like, somebody should do something. I, I can do something about that. How many things have you started in your life but not finished in your life? The problem is you're not defining specifically what it is you're called to do. What are you called to do? The king asked Nehemiah, listen, Nehemiah, I see you're upset. What do you want me to do? And then in verse number four, it says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. I prayed to the God of heaven. And, and then I, I want to go on. I want to read a little bit more. So it probably won't be in the screen, but I want to read verse number five. And I answered the king. Get this, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so I can rebuild it. One sentence, absolute clarity. What did he say? King says, what do you want? Nehemiah's response is, send me to the city of Judah so I can rebuild the walls. Absolute clarity. It wasn't like, well, you know, I hadn't really thought about that. I know something's got to be done. Hmm. I might have to give that some thought. You know, I was talking to my Uncle Billy. And Uncle Billy told me that my cousin Susie, she had a problem at school. And one time when she had a problem at school, she got kicked out of school. And when she got kicked out of school, she got grounded. 
because she got grounded, uh, she had to do extra chores. And when she was doing the chores, she put a hole in the fence. And then the fence needed to be fixed. And so he called me up because I'm a good fence fixer. So I went back and fixed the fence. I think what I want to do is I'm going to rebuild the walls. That's what I might want to do. Do you think he got there that way? No. He had clarity of what God had called him to do. What does he say? Send me to Judah, to Jerusalem, so I can rebuild the walls. Clarity. Seek God faithfully. Define the vision clearly. For most of you, again, it's caring. You care deeply about something, but you've got to clarify it a little bit. What's God calling you? Somebody says, um, God is calling me to help the children. Well, that's great. That is a giant, broad brushstroke, is it not? Calling me to help the children. Well, which children? How, how does he want you to help the children? Um, maybe kids that don't have their basics needs met. Maybe, maybe kids that are, are, are homeless right now. Maybe kids that can't read. I mean, maybe kids that have been abused. Um, where? In what city? In what state? In this nation? In another nation? In what supplies are necessary? You, what is your vision, man? What kids do you want to help? See, that's where we have to clarify it. The king says, what specifically, first of all, is God calling you to do? The bottom line is this. If you can't define it, you cannot do it. You have to be able to define it. What is God calling you to do? Define it clearly. The king says, what do you want me to do? And Nehemiah says, send me to Judah so I can rebuild the walls. In a sentence, what is God calling you to do? God is calling me to establish a network of churches regionally and globally that will change culture. That's what God is calling me to do. What is God calling you to do? In a sentence, it, it be incredibly clear. You might say something, God is calling me to lead my family to be completely debt-free except for our mortgage by the year 2025. That's a clear vision. If, if that's the unction because you feel compelled, then great. That is, that's a clear vision. If you're a student in here, maybe God is leading me to have a personal conversation about Jesus with every one of my classmates before we graduate in 2023. That is a clear vision for you in your life. God is calling me. Many people could do this. God is calling me because I believe in the vision of what God is doing through our church and through its ministries and through the network. God is calling me to double tithe. No longer will, be I, will I be a 10 percenter, but to, I'm going to be a 20 percenter starting June the first, I will double. I mean, if God is calling you, maybe then that's the clear vision. You've got to be clear about it. God is calling me to help every teen boy or man in our church network to overcome their addiction to pornography, to confess it, to repent of it, and to finally be free of it. If that's your vision, then you've got to be clear about it. In a sentence, what is God calling you to do? How do you do the work? How do you make a difference? You seek God faithfully, and you define your vision clearly. But then number three, are you ready? You make plans carefully. You make plans carefully. A goal without a plan is a wish. Don't live your life with wishes. Have a plan. Activate it. Some of you are just wishing right now. And it breaks my heart, and I think it breaks the heart of God. Make a plan. Honor God. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is get organized in your life. 
Get organized. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to get organized. Get your ducks in a row. Get your poop in a group. Make sure that everything is organized in your life. And you're going to be, can I say that in church? Can we say that? Everybody say yes, right? We can, we can say that. Of course we can. Get, get specific and be organized. God is a systematic God. I had somebody tell me the other day, um, yeah, uh, you're not a very spiritual church, which means I'm not a very spiritual leader. I'm like, okay, well, tell me more. Um, it's because everything that we do, we have, I don't know if I've, if I've got it here. I think I do. That, yeah, of course I do. Um, we have what's called an order of events. This is what takes place on Sunday mornings. There's an order of events that is a, what we call a production order of events. And there is an order of events that would be for the personnel. Um, everybody's workload is in here from every light that shines it to what degree to which cameras utilized to all of the the who comes up on the stage everything we all first of all we love you too much not to be organized right we're not just gonna come up here and say well let's just have our church thing happening right we want to we care about you enough to put our best foot forward number one but number two that's what God did he was systematic and he organized. Somebody said, well, the spirit of God can't be in that because, um, because you're, you're quenching the spirit. What, where did you, what Bible are you reading? Um, if I write my messages on Tuesdays. I've actually had people tell me before that God can't possibly be in that because you should just be able to go up there and just preach what he's given to you during the week. God bless you, you know? I don't agree with you. I don't know what Bible you're reading, but I believe if God can anoint me on Tuesday to write the message, he already knows darn well what's happening in your life on Sunday because he teaches time all at once, right? And so people still say all the time, it's like you're talking right to me. Well, I guess I talked right to you on Tuesday when God gave me the message for Sunday, even though that thing didn't happen in your life until Saturday night. That's God, yes? So the anointing can be there through your systematic plan. We live in a soul say it with me, system, right? There are, there are, there's, there's 365 days a year. I mean, there's not occasionally 412, right? There's, there's seven days a week. We don't sometimes have like nine and a half, right? It's, it's like a solar system. God is a God of order. So once you've prayed and once you've sought God and once you've defined your vision in one clear sentence, just very, very clear, this is it. It takes faith to do that. But once you've done that, you make your plans carefully and check it out what happened with Nehemiah. He's so, he's so specifically clear about his plans. In verse number six of chapter two, then the king with the queen sitting next to him, um, how do you know, uh, how, do you, how important is this? Well, the queen is there, baby. This is a pretty important conversation, right? So with the queen sitting next to him, um, uh, how long, the, the king says, how long will you be on your journey and when will you get back? Well, that's a good question. How long is this thing going to take you before I answer if you can go or not? And so if it pleased the king or it pleased the king to send me, so I set uh, time. Now, notice he didn't say, well, I'd never thought about that before. I have no idea how long I'm going to be gone. Maybe a week, maybe a year. Can we just hang loose, King-O? No, that wasn't the conversation. The he, it says, if it pleased the king, I set a time. We don't know what the time was, but he set a specific time with the king. And then check out verse number seven. I also said, asked, or said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. In other words, king, 
I'm, I've got a big ask here. The big ask is, um, would you uh, give me some protection for my journey? Going to need a few guardsmen, some letters, some papers along the way so they don't get mugged, they don't get murdered, I don't get taken down, I don't get robbed uh, along the way. Send those letters to those people who are in charge. And then in verse number eight, he goes on to say, and, 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 and. May I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, <laughs> the keeper of the king's forest. So this is like the general manager or the CEO of Home Depot, okay? That's seriously, just kind of roll with me for a second. Um, the, may I have a letter to the owner of, of Home Depot uh, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for my house, for my residence. So here's, here's really what he's saying. He's like, I would like your protection, king, and I would like your provision. You see, I have the vision. I have, I have wept over this. I have prayed over this. I've risen up and said, I, I'm the one to do this. It might as well be me. And so now I, I've decided, okay, I'm going to see God faithfully. I've defined my vision clearly. You send me, I'll rebuild the walls. But now I've got to make some plans. And Kingo, you're the part of the plan. Because not only am I asking you to release me, I'm also asking you to protect me, and I'm asking you to write a blank check for me so I can get this project done. And to his surprise, the king says, yes, uh, yes, and uh, yes. Because this is the plan that God has for you. I can't tell you how many times over just the last decade in my life I have had the vision from God and I have decided, okay, I'm going to seek God faithfully about this. I'm going to define the vision clearly, but now I need some help if we're going to make this. And you have been that help. Together we have seen incredible things transpire. Some people say, well, I don't really know how to have the perfect plan. God never asked you to have the perfect plan to know every, his word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, not a high beam halogen showing miles down the road. So how do I have the perfect plan? This is, this is, this is what I want you to do. My plan is to do the next right thing. To do the next right thing. That's my plan. How do we rebuild these walls? We're gonna do the next right thing. I just look at my life right now and where I'm at. How are we gonna add more campuses? How, how, are we, how are we gonna, how are we gonna uh, have, host four dynamic conferences this year? This year, notice the year is nearly half over. How are we gonna do that for men and for women and for couples and for parents? How are we gonna do that? How, 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 are we go, how, are we, how am I gonna write another book? How next Sunday, after all three gatherings, am I going to travel down to Southern California and spend two and a half weeks at my residency for my doctorate after reading 4,300 pages and writing countless numbers of papers since January? How, 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 in the world, how in the world am I going to care for my wife at a level that she deserves and honor her and respect her and love? How am I going to be an example for my children and their, their wonderful families and my grandchildren? If I begin to look at all those things, I will easily get overwhelmed. And so how, how do you do it? How, it's simple. You do the next right thing. Faithfulness by faithfulness by faithfulness by faithfulness. You do the next right thing. So what's the next right thing for you? You want to start a ministry. You feel God's got, God's got something stirring inside of you and you've got to do something about this and you recognize it and you can, you've decided to seek God faithfully and you define the vision clearly. You've got to make some plans. So what do you do? You do the next right thing. 
You schedule a conversation with your campus pastor, Trinity, and you sit down and you, you share with her your burden and your, your heart, and then shut up. Listen, listen. Did you hear that? Listen, because maybe she has some wisdom that she can impart to you and help hone that a little bit. And together, you can see something magnificent birth and take place. Ask questions and listen to what they say. Maybe you've got an idea about your business or you want to learn how you can be more effective. Find a mentor in your life, somebody you respect, um, somebody that is strides ahead of you. Write a business plan out. I have so many people, it seems like, in my life that say, they, can I come talk to you? I've got a, a thought about a business. And then it never, never, never happens. Or they're referred by somebody. Say, can I come talk to you? Because like, my brain kind of works that way. And, um, can I come talk to you about uh, developing a, a, a plan, an action, a business plan? But it doesn't seem to take place. And it's not that people are lazy. They just have a really hard time when it comes to this step. Make plans, specific plans. Um, maybe maybe the, uh, uh, you want to you wanna get a date. Here's a good one. Take a bath, right? Take a shower. Start with that. Take, uh, buy a nice shirt. Sell your PS4. Start with that. Maybe you'll get a good date, all right? I don't know. I meddled in so many people's lives. Um, Keely didn't just wake up one day and say, oh, I think I should start counseling today. Sounds like a pretty good idea. I probably just offended somebody that's kind of talks like that. I don't mean to. Um, what I'm saying is she invested time in prayer. She defined her vision. And she made plans carefully. What do those plans include? She had ed education was required. Credentialing was required. Certification was required. Getting counseling herself. Uh, passing out business cards. Making a schedule so that people can come to their sessions without having to take off work. Which meant sacrificing Family time in the evenings, so having conversation and structuring our family in such a way that we can give that up or invest that in other lives. It took careful planning. What do you do? You seek God faithfully. You define the vision clearly. You make plans carefully. And then finally, you inspire, inspire people passionately. Watch what Nehemiah does in verse number 17 of chapter 2. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Stop there for a second. What's the context, Troy? Mm. Nehemiah gets to the city. 50,000 people are depressed, downcast, hopeless. Nehemiah, uh, I love what he does, great leadership here. He, he addresses the elephant in the room. Yeah, this, yeah, this sucks is what this does. This is crazy nuts. This is terrible conditions. He acknowledges what really is going on here. He's authentic. He isn't sweeping it under the rug. He's not pretending it's hidden. And then check out what he says in the rest of verse number 17. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. In other words, God is with us. It looks grim. It looks hopeless. But God is with us. 
God is working. God is for us. You inspire the people around you to believe in what you're doing, that God is with us, that God will never leave us, that he will never forsake us, that he is empowering us, that he is going before us, that he is opening doors that no man can open, and he is sealing doors that no man can close, that he is giving us favor in the hearts of his children, that God is for us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? John Wesley said these words, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. You inspire people. That's one of my favorite things to do at our network of churches is to help people see what I believe is possible. 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago, 11 years ago, we first moved here, there were seven of us. It was myself and my wife and our four daughters and a wannabe son-in-law. But there was a dream and there was a, a, a vision, nothing more than a dream and nothing more than a vision. And today we have our three campuses, Lathrop, River Islands, which I don't know if you know, just today moved to its new location in River Islands because we got kicked out of the previous location. We lost it, but now we're meeting in even a better location at the park next to the boathouse, and we've made it work. God is with us. We've got our Modesto campus. We've got our online church. Did you know that our online church has now exceeded 1,200 people that are engaging? Had They have asked us to be a part of our group of ministry. It takes full-time effort to minister to the people just online. We've got our two groups-based churches. Spanish church begins meeting at 11 o'clock in Modesto. And then our, our Stockton church. We've got a house church that meets in Casper, Wyoming. Listen, if you didn't count that, that's seven churches, seven spiritual hospitals where people from all walks of life who are broken and hurting can receive help and love and power and together with your prayers and with faith and with your heart and with your generosity and with the power of God, I believe that God wants there to be eight and he wants there to be nine, and he wants there to be 10, and he wants there to be 11. There is no stopping what God wants to do. Not because we care about the numbers, but because God cares about people who are hurting and who are broken. We're not just building buildings or building gatherings of people. We are filling heaven with people who need the grace of Jesus Christ. I believe we can help people overcome their addictions. I believe we can see marriages stop the process of divorce. I believe we can see people healed from the pain of their past. Do you believe that that is possible when we come together? I believe that. Every cell of my being, every fiber of my body believes that. I am all in. Amen. Nehemiah says, I told them about the favor of God. I told them about how I went before the king. This was a miracle. The king should have said, are you kidding me? Get out of my face. The king should have said, Okay, next one's gonna be executed now. Take out the cupbearer because he just, that's what should have happened. But that's not what happened. So the king said, yes, you can go. Yes, I'll give you protection. Yes, I'll pay for it all. And so Nehemiah goes back to these brokenhearted people and he stands before them and he, he says, I know it's hard. 
I know it's difficult. I know it looks impossible, but let me share with you what happened to get me to this place in the journey. Let me tell you what happened when I stood before the king. And because of his testimony, the people became so inspired. Your job is to share your testimony. You will not have a testimony if there isn't first a test that calls you to fall on your face before your great and mighty God and plead and beg and invoke his power and ask for his faithfulness to be extended to you and through you and when you do and when God comes through for not if I said when God comes through for you that becomes a part of your testimony and you share your testimony how Troy how do I make a difference how do I do this good work you seek God faithfully you define your vision very clearly what has God told you spoken to you to do you make your plans carefully you get ready you don't rush it you don't get ahead of God you stay right in stride with God and you you inspire people around you passionately and as you do that God will accomplish more through your step of faith than you ever imagined possible let me pray for you father would you do that in us would you do that in us but God, I ask more. I ask that you would do that through us. God, that you would inspire us. God, that you would equip us. Oh God, to make a difference in this world.